0: Today's episode is a little bit of a stray away from the usual, but it is the most important conversation I have ever had on this podcast and may be the most important one I ever have. So although it is a long one, and although a lot of this may feel like it's going over your head, I want you to lean in and I want you to listen to every word that is shared. Today I have a guest with me. It is Dr. Jackie Taylor. And you may be familiar with the world of AI and artificial intelligence, and how it's starting to change the way that we run our businesses online. Well, I will tell you, friend, that is just the tip of the iceberg. AI and the world of deep tech, which we'll be talking about in this episode, is a very, very deep iceberg under the surface that is just now being revealed to the average consumer. But Dr. Jackie is an expert in this space. She has been working in this space for over 20 years. And not only that, she has been looking at it through the lens of human connection and what she calls the empathy economy. We're having an important conversation, which is why I invited others to join us to ask their questions about technology changes or artificial intelligence and what it means for us, what it means for our careers, what it means for us as humans, what it means for healthcare, and the education system, and what it means for our jobs. We discuss every single one of those things in this conversation. And I want to invite you to tune in and to listen with an open and a curious mind. You're going to leave this conversation after listening to this episode, you're going to leave with more questions than you have answers. But that's okay. Because this is a conversation that is just getting started. And as you listen to this, I really want you to be thinking about who else needs to hear this, and how you can bring your community into this conversation. Because it's an important one for all of us to be collaborating on. Okay, as you go to listen to this episode, know that it was a live discussion. We're going to start doing more of this for the podcast, bringing you, my community, into these conversations. So if you want to be a part of that, make sure that you are on my email list because that's where you're going to learn about these conversations. You can go to s h a n a l y n n S-H-A-N-A-L-Y-N-N.com and look at the top of the website and you can get on my email list there. Because that's where you're going to get invited into these kinds of conversations. But again, I hope you lean into this. This is a heavy and a very challenging conversation, but it is a very, very important one. Your eyes are about to be opened, and the curtain is about to be lifted, and it may be a bit unsettling. But if you listen all the way to the end, you will find hope, hope for our future, hope for our kids hope for you, hope for your community. And that's what I want to leave you with. So enjoy this episode. This is for you, the online business owner who wants to maximize your profit and multiply your impact. I'm Shanna, host of the Community Creators Podcast. I've spent over a decade helping top brands and entrepreneurs create thriving communities that increase their reach, retention, and revenue. This podcast is where I share my best insights and invite you into conversations with the world's leading community creators and cultivators. So grab your favorite mug, fill it up, and let's get started everybody started talking about these AI tools, right? We've been experiencing AI for a while, but we just didn't know it. Like I think about like the vacuum that is in my house that maps my entire house and can look and be like, oh my goodness, there's a sock there. I'm not going to go that way. I mean, we've been experiencing this kind of technology and tools that we use, but we just haven't really seen what it's capable of until recently when a tool came out called Chat GPT. And if you're not familiar with that, I'll just briefly explain it. So, Chat GPT is a tool. If you picture Google times 20, you can go in and you can not just say, hey, find me this website, but you could say, hey, could you uh, write me a blog post? about organic gardening in Alaska, then ChatGPT is going to take everything that it has learned by scouring all the data points on the internet. And then it is going to produce for me a very well written blog post about how to do organic gardening. Okay, so there are tools that have been paid that have had that kind of functionality. ChatGPT came out with a free one, And just to give you a little bit of a techie insight, but this really is not what our discussion is going to be. But I want you to know why this has come up. Chat GPT is run by something behind the scenes called GPT-3. And it's what all these other companies for the most part are using to run those kinds of copy creation tools. It's just that company finally came out and said, hey, let's do a free version. It will be paid very soon. This is like their whole like let's make it free. Let's get a whole bunch of data and insight from all these people using it. And then let's turn on the now you have to pay for it. So that's coming. But that got people excited. They're starting to use it. And they're going, how do I use this in my business to make my business more efficient, produce more content? And, and then it was like, Oh, goodness, now we can produce images, we can tell it, I did it the other day, I was in a meeting and, and somebody was explaining AI to the group. And they said, Yeah, you can go in and you can say, I want to see an image of a monkey wearing uh, sunglasses and surfing. And I literally went into a tool that was a free tool. And I said, imagine a monkey wearing sunglasses surfing. And I added in with a sunset in the background. And within two minutes, I had an image of exactly that. And there's lots of implications for the ethics around art and all of that, but What I really want us to get insight on today and why I brought Dr. Jackie in is because this is just the tip of the iceberg. So there are plenty of people out there that are just getting into these tools and they're going to say, oh, I'm the AI expert. I can teach you how to scale and grow your business with AI or they're a developer and they're like, let me teach you all the technology But there's one person that I know that has been in this world for 20-plus years. She has worked with the United Nations. She has worked with the G20 Conference. The work that she has done has impacted over half the world's populations, and she is 20 years ahead of us in this conversation, which means that she sees everything under the water when it comes to this iceberg. She is looking at how does this impact us as humans and our empathy towards each other? How is this going to impact the future of our careers? How how has it already impacted the future of our careers and we just don't realize it yet? How is this being used in healthcare, in government? How is it? There's all these other ways that it's being used and there's all these implications for us from an economic perspective, from an environmental perspective, from a human society perspective. And I wanted to get us on the forefront of this conversation because if we just get sucked into creating images with this or writing our next blog post, we're missing the point and we're going to be behind very, very quickly. And so uh, there is no better expert to join this conversation than Dr. Jackie. So I reached out to her, I said, can I interview you? And then the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what, I don't even know what people are concerned about what questions they have. So let's just bring others into this conversation. So Dr. Jackie, hello, thank you for coming and chatting with us. And answering all of our questions about this mystery technology and helping us connect the dots with some things that we don't even know what to be asking, but you and I have had a little bit of a conversation. So I kind of know how to kick us off and and get going. But did I do a good job of giving a little bit of an introduction for you? I feel like maybe you could give a little bit more context. So if you could do that, that would be great.
1: Yeah, I will do. Can I just in the same way you're gonna keep me honest and say, whoa, 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 what does that mean? back up. I'm going to say there's a couple of things you said in there that not factually correct. So the chat, G, chat GPT conversation, it is not connected to the internet. It's a model and it has learned from what it's ingested. And so some of the problems you and I have talked about are the very reason it does what it does, because it's been, it's been effectively created to do that. So that's one of the first things. And your vacuum, actually isn't AI either. That's the Internet of Things. That's another part of deep tech. No humans in the loop. It's doing your bidding. So those robots can be connected depending on what you've got. I suppose the one most people are are familiar with is the the voice robots like um, the Alexa and and the Google ones and what have you, all the ones that, that literally react into voice. Because this technology literally is in many facets, it's sort of in many instances, we've been exploring on many companies' behalf since 2009. Uh, my research goes way back before that. And that's really why I created Flying Binary to answer the question of how does our world become inclusive? That's our mission. But by that, I mean something that most people don't leave no one behind. So I'm neurodiverse. I'm visually disabled. I'm an engineer and I'm female. There's not many like me in the world. So I ask the questions at a very lateral level. And my day job is counter-terrorism and currently boots on the ground, not actually today, but boots on the ground in Ukraine and have been there since February the 10th. So this is a technology, the deep tech technology, that's what it's called, deep technology. All of these things sit underneath that big umbrella called deep tech. And it's it all... Impacts us. The main thing you're seeing now is because of the funding changes that's happened across the industry since 2019. This is being seeded out. So whilst we've been doing all this since, well, certainly I've been doing all this since 2009. uh, Changing the funding mechanisms for it changed everything for for us all. So you could all see in 2019, nothing to do with pandemic. It's just it just happened that the
0: investment. The investment ecosystem sits behind this change, then. Okay, this is so good. So, okay, so we're gonna do just a little bit of me asking Dr. Jackie some questions to help get us all on the same page before we start diving into everybody's questions. So, she's just talked about a word that when she first shared it with me, I was like, sounds cool. What is that? From a basic perspective, can you explain to us what deep tech is? And then, how does AI connect to deep tech? And what is AI? And then and you mentioned something called the internet of things, which the first time you told me that I was like, what does that even mean? And I think once you explain it, people will be like, Oh, I get it, I get it, because it's like all in our houses. But so can you explain AI, what it is, internet of things, what it is, and then how that all connects to deep tech?
1: Yeah, so deep tech is a term that effectively we've invented to to bring all of this together, because it impacts the entire way our society functions and it can't be left to do it itself it certainly can't be left in the hands of technologists she says as a technologist so mm-hmm. so deep tech was invented by a property founder and it was to bring together two key things engineering i'm an aerospace engineer and scientific discovery when you bring those two things together in my case the science is web science societal science about how all the technology connects our world then what you do is you bring together something that is fundamentally different from any tech there is is something that is opaque you can see it you can interact with it but you've no idea what's underneath the hood that under the iceberg thing that you're talking about Shana. and you have to trust it's going to work on your behalf or not and so so that's what it's about but the key thing about companies like ours is that because of that combination, it's very hard to replicate. The IP is not something you can get by using the tech. You can use these these services, the AI services, machine learning services, Internet of Things services, but you can't actually know what's under the hood. And that means that it usually takes millions. Or in in you you mentioned OpenAI and what they're doing a few times already with uh, DALI and and with with uh, ChatGPT. Should, in their case, billions to get to that place. But in my company, we've never taken investment. We've done everything we've done bootstrapping because we leave no one behind to me means if I can't do it myself with what I have and I need other people's money, how can I make that inclusive? So that's a fundamental difference between my approach and what you hear out there. Now, how you put that technology together is essentially you don't have to use the internet. Like OpenAI, I've not done for ChatGPT. They can use models, they can train things. But all of these, these technologies are built on the basis of serving a purpose, usually for profit, and then to be able to be connected. So in theory, well, actually, let's do a real one. Our offices in London don't have any people in them other than us, other than the engineers. It's totally run by robots. And so if it's a Thursday and I turn up at the office, the robot will say, "Dutch Jackie, have I got to go to the um, dry cleaners today? Have I got laundry to do? Or "Dutch Jackie, phone call from Hong Kong. And I've got to go somewhere because it's a secure room and nobody else is allowed to hear that phone call. And so that's how it's runs. It runs. And so, you know, it's an environment where if it becomes sunnier than the weather thought it was, was going to be then actually the building just self regulates makes it a little bit cooler puts the blinds down on the side of the room all of that stuff that's what our houses will look like and that's how it's going to work that's the internet of things but some of that has AI machine learning as well deciding ah yes but we know that this is going to happen and it's actually January and I've been programmed to look at climate change so actually I'm not going to put the blinds down it just knows that stuff so that I don't have to bother about it. But when you think about all of that surrounding you and effectively serving you, does it consider you or is it just doing what it's been programmed to do? And largely it's been, it's either in the Internet of Things doing what's it's programmed to do. If it's got machine learning or AI, it's actually deciding that I've met these circumstances before. I'm looking at patterns. I understand it. And then in ChatGPT's case, it's language. I now understand meaning in language. And so little tip, if you wouldn't mind, Shana. if somebody tells you they're a guru in this space, ask them whether ChatGPT is going to get rid of Google. And if they say yes, they are not an expert. And if they say no, they
0: might be. That's great. I love it because I would have been somebody who said yes, which is exactly why I'm not the one having this (laughs) conversation with you all. So hopefully you understood that, that deep tech is really the term that they've given to describe all that's happening in that technology space right now. And then the AI is the machine learning. So it's programmed to understand certain things like the weather and how that connects with the time and the temperature and all of this. And then take certain, make certain decisions and take certain actions based on what it's been programmed to do, and then the Internet of Things is like your. Would you say this is like? I think we were talking about technology around like ovens and things like this in in the future. So I mean, in a simple simple explanation, like if you have a really smart oven or if you have uh, you know a smart vacuum, like my two year old calls it his Robo. He's like his Robo sleeping. He thinks it is real. He thinks it is like our pet and he interacts with it that way. So our robo in our house would be a part of the Internet of Things. So all of this is related and connected. And as you heard Dr. Jackie say, like she lives in the future reality now. So I don't know how to explain that for us. But when you think about the Jetsons and you go, oh, one day our houses might be like the Jetsons, like Dr. Jackie lives in that world now and experiences that now and has done since
1: 2017.
0: Yeah, so this is why this is so fun for me. Okay, so (laughs) if you have a question or you want to invite us into a conversation around this, you can use the raise hand feature. So if you just, if you, Mouse over my face. You'll see the reactions button at the bottom, and you can click uh, to raise your hand, and we'll bring you in. If you don't, for whatever reason, want to come on and share your voice, that's fine. You can ask uh, the question in the chat. But I would really love for you to come in and join in on this conversation. Just know that this is a safe place. There are no questions that are too uh, simple, or you know, they say there are no dumb questions. Like truly, there are not because This is new for all of us. So, ask your questions. In the meantime, I'm going to ask Dr. Jackie a question so that you can be raising your hand while we wait on this answer. So, Dr. Jackie, uh, one of the things that I love about you and why you and I are so connected is because we have a deep passion for community and human connection. And this to me was my biggest question. So, selfishly, I wanted to have this discussion with you because. I'm a community strategist and expert, and that's what I do for my business, but I do that for my business because at the core of who I am, I believe a lack of community is tied to so many of the world's problems today and that we are built for human connection. So the moment I see robots and technology starting to mirror humans and human empathy and conversation, I get nervous, I'm not quite sure what that means for how we connect And I knew there was no better person to come to because you have founded something called the Empathy Economy. And you're always thinking about this. You're always thinking about how this tech connects us as humans, impacts us as humans. So can you talk a little bit about that and just the work that you've been doing to keep the human connection a part of the conversation in all of this technology?
1: Yeah, and that is my mission, you know, leave no, no one behind is that sort of focus of why that's my passion, because it's hard. And I would say that the fact we haven't understood this technology has been so pervasive and all around us, and we just keep onboarding it and then using it to do this little bit and that little bit, what we've missed is it's surrounding us. And we haven't understood its bigger place in our lives. And as community leaders, I think that's what we do. I think we help people understand how as community leaders or members of a community, we make it work for us. So what I often talk about is and the the Internet of Things is the one that's most pervasive. People really don't understand it. I think when I was sharing the in the early days of the empathy economy, which I founded in London in December 2016, that pretty much... There were things that you were putting in your house you didn't understand by connecting them to the outside world and particularly the Internet and the Web, what that was going to do. And the number one device I've been most worried about since the Russian war in Ukraine is your thermostats, because actually they're a device that is so easy for anybody to decide to just bring them all down and see what's going on in your home. And there's, you know, the top 10 things I'm concerned about, but that's one that you think you wouldn't think twice about having a a thermostat. They've been in the market longest. That's one of the reasons. So anybody who's up to no good, you know, is really well-versed in that. But we unconsciously, and I think this is why community to me is so important, we unconsciously are accepting this without understanding its implication. So I, have with the empathy economy, brought the heart back into the technology agenda. That's what it's about. It's about all of us doing a little to create the world we all want to live in and negotiating what we do with technology because the economy that most people are working in is what we call the sharing economy and that's a competitive economy. Its business model is for profit. That's why 1% of the world got so much richer by trillions during pandemic because it's geared to make us poorer and them richer because it's for profit and it's in the hands of a few. Um, whereas the empathy economy is actually almost turning our world upside down to say that's not what it should be. If we're making profit, because you have to make profit, people got to be paid and you know people should be rewarded for the work they do. If it's not with purpose, if it's not for a purpose, then we end up in the place that I'm talking about. And so by sprinkling these devices and this technology everywhere, What we've ended up doing is opening ourselves up to be profited from in this deep tech world as well, but without our consent. So my research started 22 years ago with a group of six boys who were eight. And one of them was my son. And he said, I have no idea, but my mum will know. I'm sure that you've all got, you know, your children. I mean, he's 29 now. He doesn't say that now. I'll check with my mum, but I might know better. Uh, Which, of course, is amazing. But they were like, oh, I think, you know, they were like, no, we need to know what this is. And what this was about was how come technology is not in our schools? Why am I sat in this ridiculous room with a desk and a pen and paper and I'm not allowed to have my phone? And and so basically my son at eight had got a, a group of others together and decided they were going to change it. Now, unfortunately, what they did was they hacked the school infrastructure. So obviously, go and see the headmaster. What do you think this is?
0: This is what happens when your mom is like a doctorate in computer science.
1: <laughs> and so the thing about all of this is we have a younger generation now. So Gen Z are where I started. They're 29. Well, they're almost 30 now. 30, 29 to 19. And they understood what we had wasn't right. And I'm just going to change it. And they just did. But the interesting thing was when I stood up at Davos just three years ago today, I said to them, that's not who you need to worry about because Gen Z will navigate, they'll negotiate, they'll do it anyway if you say no. But Gen Alpha 18 to 8, now, now we really have something because they look at technology in a different way. They're, and they say, I don't want what you've got. You've built a rubbish world, the planets burning. You've got pandemics and all of this. You've got no idea what you're doing, you know. So I've got parents in pandemic who said, "Oh, daughter Jackie, my, you know, my my Gen Alpha, my eight-year-olds, my nine-year-olds are actually rewiring the house." And my point was, get out of their way. What is it they want to change? Understand it. Be curious. And really, my youngest entrepreneur is three. So Gen Beta is seven and under, and they look at the world in a wholly different way again. And it's fascinating. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of this is they've had access to this technology, really Gen Alpha 18 and under, Gen Beta are the ones that have never known another world, but they've never looked at it the way we have. So we've been unconscious in accepting all of this, but Gen Alpha and Gen Beta are, are on it. And, you know, if you, if you will allow them the space, they'll solve some of our biggest problems. And that's really my mission From a community point of view, I have over 10 million entrepreneurs in 172 countries doing just that. You know, what is it we need? How will you help? You know, and obviously we're in Ukraine for a different reason to make sure it survives. And some of the some of the most powerful entrepreneurs in Ukraine are under eight.
0: Yeah. So. I'm sure some of you all your mind is blown just as much as mine was the first time that I was hearing Dr. Jackie talk about this and tell me about eight year olds that are coding and building video games and all of this sort of stuff. But this again is is what she's in day in and day out. So I want to go to Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. It's so good to see you friend.
2: Great, great, great. Thanks. Thanks. First of all, for having to share this conversation. This is Absolutely fascinated to hear this, even though you may have heard snippets of it, you know, along the way. But technology, based on what you just said, Dr. Jackie, it's going in a completely different generation. And for those of us who've been here for a minute, you know, we've lived through the different stages of things progressing. And now we're here in a stage where some people have never known anything other than what they experienced. So I get it. I'm going to flip into something that is that is personal for me and a community that I serve. And here's my question: As a person living with type one diabetes, a chronic condition, this could be for anyone with a different chronic condition. Could you share how deep tech is influencing this particular space or the healthcare space that we just may be like oblivious to? And and what do we need to to position ourselves? To move forward. And I, I say this. I started with diabetes at 17. I'm four decades in now with insulin going in a little container where you had to drop ice in it to keep it cold. To now we're in an insulin pump and a CGM. I mean, everything's different. So I'm really curious to hear what your what your postures on that.
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm actually in this space. I'm spinning out a new company as we speak to actually solve the mental health crisis created by pandemic, the whole backlog. But I'm type two diabetes, and so this is an area I understand well. I think the for, for those of us with chronic conditions or for those of us that just understand that self-care is part of being human and something we should pay attention to, whether you've got any illness or not, I think this is where the revolution really does start. Because um, I think of some of the patients that I'm, I'm working with, acute mental health conditions, let me think, youngest is six we're regularly losing them to self-harm and suicide. But what we're finding is bringing AI with its knowledge, with its model, we've trained it to understand these conditions and we put it in their hands. And it's very interesting, one of my Down syndrome ambassadors, when I put it in her hands, said, well, I don't give Down syndrome ambassador a phone because like, what rubbish is this professor? But a tablet, that's what they work on. You know, who doesn't use this? Why would you call this little screen when there's this big screen? What's wrong with you all? Lover. We'll just call it E because I don't name the children usually. And she said to me, Why have you called it this? I called it social guardian because it effectively helps do what they do online, but to challenge the algorithms. And I said, Well, what should I have called it? She goes, Well, what does it do? I went, You tell me what it does. She goes, It looks after me. Why are you not calling it that? I'm like, mm. and parents who say to me, "Actually, she'll listen to that AI because it it understands her. It's personal to her. So her other friend, let's say C, they work together. They're like tag team. Watch out, world! Uh, they're 14 very soon. Goodness me, uh, I've got a cerebral palsy group of ambassadors as well. Watch out, world! They're 12. And what they do is they work together with this technology to say, well, it understands me like this and it understands you like this. What does the combination of C and E do? And they just explore on it. And what it does do is it gives them something that literally just cares about them. Forget the world. Forget what some doctor thinks they know about you. What does it mean for you? So and to talk back to diabetes and particularly you, that would be the Internet of Things. With AI added in, so the, the umbrella is deep tech, but it would be the internet thing, so some sort of sensor arrangement with some sort of installation with the doctor as well. And then that combination, that package of technology allows you to say, I've done this today, I'm not happy, click, get me an appointment, I'm sending you my data, something's wrong. And I think the best example I've got of this is Lumen. I don't know if anybody knows Lumen that actually looks at hacking our metabolism because everything we do in healthcare is not personalized. So you can use this Internet of Things device with its machine learning that's part of it, are connected to an app so that you can start to understand I'm burning carbohydrate now. And this for, for diabetics is fantastic. I'm burning carbohydrate now. Go up and get a walk. You know, stand, make some movement. Rewire your neuron pathways to actually, you know, love the food at the right time that you need. I'm burning protein now. I can carry on doing what I'm doing. So, for us as diabetics, it actually allows, it it supports us in a a very personal level and allows us finally to be self care and not in these endless revolving doors of medical care that really just treat us as a, you know, a, a sort of a package on the conveyor belt because there's no way of treating us personally. Because there aren't enough doctors and there's not enough knowledge, so that's really how it transforms that, and that's packaged together in that device called Lumen, L-U-M-E-N, and it's amazing. So you might want to check that out. That's what I'm using, but there's probably tons of others. It's just that I found that that, based on my machine learning work and my Internet of Things work, works for me because it, it, it's really rewiring my brain. It's the neuroscience of my brain, Say so I can learn to care for. But jackie better because this device is going to support me to do that and then doctors of course they get very upset they're like but well, I've been treating you for 10 years and now you're cured so I've actually been through that cycle completely myself on a on a long-term condition I had and they're like it's not and my doctor actually said to me when all the blood tests and everything said I was cured I can't write that down because medically it's not possible clinically it's not possible it's like well, Me and my Internet of Things device tell you it's done. (laughs) And so what did she do? She resigned. She's no longer a doctor because she can't cope with the idea that the machine can
0: support me better than she can. I hope that helps.
2: it It was very informative. Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, So I know we have some more questions. And I please do. I know I see uh, my other friend Kim on here. I know you had some great questions that you posted on Facebook. So I'd love for you to ask those as well. Just raise your hand if you have questions. But before we move to the next one, what you just said, Dr. Jackie, brought up something that you and I discussed before we brought everybody in and started hitting record. And it's this probably the most asked question right now about AI technology. And it's, is my job safe? Is my job safe? And I think we all want the answer to that to be yes. But again, we are here for expertise, not for sugarcoating. So um, Dr. Jackie, can you speak to, I know there's lots of things that are more confidential that you can't speak to that you know, but there's a little bit that you can share with us. So would you be open to talking about that?
1: Yeah, I would. So first of all, brief because I know it is a fear. And I think that I can only share the public data for the European Union. They are 27 countries. Um, There's 450 million people in that group of, of the European Union. And I'm what's called a far starter. There's four of us, but I hold the pen. That's a European phrase, holding the pen. For the 450 million citizens. So I've been working directly with them over the last few years to understand that question. And what I can share in public is 19% of all the jobs, 90% of the people of those 450
0: million people will yes be able to continue with their job. So hold on, right there. For those that didn't hear that, 19%, less than 20% will be able to continue with their jobs as they know it right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 38% can transition if they're willing to embrace this and not get sucked in as a consumer. I mean, Shauna's really right about that. You know, put the, do I need this to write my blog? Really? This is a fantastic opportunity for us all. And how many women are on this call? Uh, you know, one of the things about this underpinning technology, is written by men. I'm very much the exception. So 38% can transition into this new world I'm talking to you about. If they're not spending endless amounts of time writing blogs using this tech, because that's not what it's about, missing the point. And then obviously the rest, those jobs will no longer exist. And so what people then say is, well, who are those people? Engineers, because without us, it doesn't happen. People like psychologists, caregivers, anybody that actually has curation or orchestration or care for a community. So that's why community is important, because those people cannot be replaced by technology. Not yet. And people say, how long? Well, 20 years. I would say no, probably nearer 30. But yes, that's coming. And that brings the whole next transition beyond what we're talking about now. That's the world I'm in today.
0: Thanks for sharing that. And I hope that brings up some more questions for you all, because it definitely (laughs) did for me. So Tammy, hello. Hi there.
3: So before you were talking about this, will this replace my job, I was going to talk about and ask about a long time ago, I was a court reporter. And at that time, when I was doing the training for that, all the technology was coming out where you would use the stenograph machine and it would transcribe what you were taking down. You had to go in and edit, but everybody was saying, oh, we're going to lose our jobs, you know, in five years. It's going to take over. And it still hasn't yet. This was 30 years ago, over 30 years ago. So it still hasn't yet. Wondering what your thoughts are on that, like how soon that could happen, something like that. And then second question, right now I'm in the technology training business. Uh So I've been playing with chat GPT and saying, write out an outline for using Power BI in Excel something like that that's you know not too terribly simple just like that it was there now it wasn't click here do that click on this icon and do this and watch me but it was go through these steps this is how you create this and that so that makes me a little nervous it does
1: yeah well i think the first one i mean it's a really good point what you're describing there is what we call technical debt in our world of deep tech which is there are industries, nations that are stuck with technology or some sort of mechanical device that is not in the world I'm talking about. And that's because Gen Z is not in that world, our under 30s, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, Gen Beta. And so they don't care about that because they don't know about it and they're not there. Now, all it will take, I'll just share a story to illustrate this. One of my entrepreneurs at 11 did an exit for an invention he'd made. He'd made this invention because he has a friend, a very great friend, who is a cerebral palsy sufferer. And it's limited what they could do to play together. So him and his dad, unfortunately, my husband and our son were heavily involved in this. So I know where this started. I helped him understand how to translate that thought of why can't my friend join in to what can I do about it? And when he was signing his 16 million exit deal at 11, obviously with his mum because he couldn't sign the paperwork. The CEO of the company that bought this invention said, why did you do it? And both his mum and I took a breath because we knew what was coming. He said, why did I do it? I'm 11. Why haven't you done it? That's the question. And so that's really the answer to your, you know, technology like that. It's still there because one of our tech natives that are under 30 hasn't hasn't been in that situation. And as soon as they do, my Gen Z entrepreneurs, when I was doing this work 22 years ago, when they came to the workforce within 10 months, they were on the board of companies, sacking their bosses, basically. And then these cohort that follows, you know, 18 and under as they make it into the workforce, they're even more disruptive. So I think that that's the sort of first part of it. And then you, you'll need to remind me of the second question.
3: So just technology training. I mean, that's, that's one thing that I've yeah. noticed and kind of played with a little bit. See what it would come up with.
1: Right. And the, the thing that I need to say is, by all means, play with this thing. I'm not saying don't use it, but understand the sort of guardrails that you operate under. So I'm just recording a course now to teach how every business across the world can contribute to climate change. And I'm fascinated by the way in which we don't enable that to go out to the world. And so training will always be required. It just means that you're a little bit ahead of the game because you've understood that everything you're going to do is enabled by technology if you're not at the place where the tech you're using you own it or you understand it that's where I'd worry about you but essentially you know i one of the things i've been thinking about and i said to shana about this is this is a start of a conversation one of the things i'd love to know from an empathy economy point of view is what is it you all need because i'm doing a bunch of things and if i can serve communities that's part of what i'm doing So I think that you're in a great place because you've already said, well, I learn it, I'm doing it. This model, this uh, large learning model, which is ChatGPT, gpt appears to understand things. It doesn't actually. It knows what it's been trained on based on the data it's been trained on by the white males that have trained it. So that's your initial problem. It's not inclusive, it's biased. And I would be seriously worried about you using that content in your communities without fessing it up. We're currently working on watermarking it. So if you don't acknowledge that chat GDP is in what you've done, it will tell the consumer. So whether we can get that in GDP4, I don't know, but we're doing it because it's not okay. The way in opening it up, how did the world respond? What did they do? They passed it off as their own. Okay, we'll stop that now. Because you can't always assume humans will do things that is unethical, but it's always good to know what you're going to do if they do. And of course, you know, from an adversarial point of view, nation states that are going to use it to make sure that they flood our social media with misinformation. I mean, that's the other thing that will happen. So I think it's really important that we fess up that we're using it, we fess up why, we fess up what it's doing. I would do that now because it's going to fess up on your behalf as soon as we get that watermarking finished.
0: That is great insight because I was just with some people and the conversation was, oh, I'm just going to like produce a high quantity of content. All I got to do is put these things into ChatGPT. It's going to spit out all this stuff for me. I'll put it on my blogs. I'll put it on my social channels. And that was one of the questions that came up was, Are the algorithms going to be able to identify this AI-generated content and then stifle it, like identified many things before? And one of the thoughts was, well, probably not, at least not for a while. And I think, again, we forget that these companies are so far ahead of where we are, we think, oh, this technology just came out, there's no way they can build something that quickly that can identify AI generated copy. And the reality is they've been aware of this technology and playing with it and thinking about that way longer than we've been using it. So that's perfect. We're gonna go to Kim, who is a copywriter, friend of mine. And Kim, I know Dr. Jackie's already entered into one of the topics that you had brought up. So go ahead. Yeah, and the whole watermarking thing, like I'm Definitely that's to be continued. You've
3: touched on two of the questions that I actually had about AI, deep tech, one of which is you've mentioned a few times that climate change, you know, we, we can leverage tech to address and remediate climate change but what about the role deep tech plays in creating climate change with the amount of carbon footprint the amount of landscape that it requires to host all these giant servers so I would just love some reflections on that and then my other question maybe after Zora gets a chance to ask her question was just around the inclusivity piece because I've experimented with that and I found it very white male focused as well.
1: Yeah it's just not got the stale component of it it's not stale, pale and male. It's pale, male and stale. Pale and male. Yeah, it's not the stale bits missing, but the pale and male bit is rife through the whole law. But then that's what needs to, you know, that's what the model's got to be chained on. And well, all four of them have got to ingest that. And this is, you know, opening it up was to see what the world would do with it. Because, you know, what we all think as engineers is one thing, but what does it mean to you? And particularly from my point of view, what would a community use it for and why do we need it? So in terms of the climate change piece, I'm working on that now in terms of sharing the knowledge on that. So I've been involved in creating the requirements and policy and the focus of what the UK in one case and what the EU is going to do about that. So I've been working on this internationally with 147 countries for about six years to understand what it means to them. Because of course, what happens in Japan and what you need it in Japan and what happens in the UK—they're not the same thing. We, you know, even just at a basic level of culture, you need something else. And so, at the moment, I'm, I'm formalizing that with a group of other experts. And um, one of my immediate responses is, given that the cryptocurrency debacle has been burning our planet for so much longer the fact that somebody is concerned about sustainable ai AI, amazes me why are people not concerned about the creation of a country the size of argentina that's destroying our planet why is that
0: not an issue but it hasn't been enough of an issue so Dr. Jackie, real quick, before you go further, I'm not sure everybody is aware of even cryptocurrency and, and you just said, you know, creating essentially a, a country the size of Argentina that's burning up the planet. Can you talk just briefly about how cryptocurrency is connected to that related to the servers that it requires? Yeah, I
1: mean, a, a lot of this is the tech that's being used and the way in which the, the coins are mined. And it's that part of it. But then that's true of the human impact of climate change. You know, 80 to 90% of the emissions are in the manufacture of the things we are consuming. So we're the problem as humans. And so uh, crypto has just accelerated that because of the burst of activity that's happened during pandemic. You know, then the technology it consumes, it literally ingests machines, burns them out and they're thrown away. You know, physical kit. It's literally, it just burns it out. So there's a whole issue around that. But of course, a lot of that is driven by profit. You know, um, the speculation, it's gambling by any other name. It's speculation. So, you know, maybe the people that that are involved in that, certainly people that are creating it, are not concerned about anything beyond profit. It's only when you take a purpose-led approach do you start to ask about it. But I'm fascinated that people are worrying about sustainable AI, whilst crypto has been allowed to just run amok. Um, But uh, yeah, I'm doing that in Europe at the moment. We literally, all of that work has been done for the UK initially and then Europe. And then we're going to socialize that with the other countries and what we found and the science behind it and all of that. So it's uh, literally, it's one of my new roles I've just picked up.
3: And what's the best way to follow you for that release of information?
1: So- because of that being a concern, there's an initial piece that I need to say is those companies that have made the most specific commitments to climate change are technology companies. The technology companies are the ones that have stepped forward and are doing something about it. However, only so far. So, in the conversations with the technology companies, I've been working with them for the last two years to literally understand what we can do differently what we you know our own responsibilities our accountability for what we're doing the ethics around it all of that and linkedin have stepped forward to fund me to actually write the course for everybody who currently can't get involved in this there's a set of locked doors some of it is knowledge some of it's science some of it is because you don't have a private plane to fly you down to cop 27 you see what I mean so they funded that change and um I literally recorded the last video today uh, just before I did this so the the recordings are done they're going to production and the course that every organization be it a solopreneur through to a large company of all the things that need to be done will be released on the LinkedIn platform the deal I've negotiated is that if you have a LinkedIn premium account it's free for you it's not extra you get it anyway and I'm teaching that personally and then I've got back end set of resources from that. I also have an interactive podcast just like this, but not a visual one on LinkedIn audio every week, which is literally a community that's building to answer some of these questions. Three new climate businesses founded yesterday. So thrilled about that. And so you connect with me on LinkedIn, but I've tamed the algorithm, So I've, I've fiddled with the algorithm on LinkedIn. So if you connect with me on LinkedIn, what you have to do is you have to go to the notifications bell, click it until it says all, and then you're in. And then there's resources on the feature part of my profile to get on the wait list for the other piece of this, which is I've replaced Facebook. So as and when I make that available, you can all come on Facebook and we'll we'll put right what's gone wrong for that. But you'll have some but not all of everything you'll need on some of what you have on Facebook now but I guarantee you forever we will not be creating any more of the ethical issues when we build our businesses and if climate change isn't your bag it's really what the that's the empathy economy membership will be founded on this platform and I will at some point ask people like Shana to to work with me on that so we can get the platform out there but I want to get you know, it founded, make sure what you all want out of it, that those that join me on the journey, there's a featured part of my LinkedIn profile, it's called Jackie.online, because that's what it is. And you just click through, you can go on a waitlist, and I share resources on there as well. I'm really keen that money is not in any way a barrier to what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm really
0: firm about that. I appreciate that, Dr. Jackie. And if you're listening to the replay right now, uh, you can look in the show notes for the link to Dr. Jackie's LinkedIn and connect with her there. Let's go to Zora. Hey, Zora. Thank you. Is there time? That kind of sounded like a close. No, there. there's time.
4: Okay, thank you. Well, firstly, I just wanted to say, I'm sure everyone here is familiar with this, but the reason that I raised my hand physically which some people might've thought, doesn't she realize she needs to click a button was just to demonstrate that my machine recognized that I was raising my hand and raised it for me. And, you know, just how much these things are part of everyday life uh, now. And so I think it's really important that we recognize how much of this is already part of our lives. I have just got a couple of themes rather than a specific question, if, if I may, for Dr. Jackie to comment on. So one is... I'm a coach, so I I coach leaders and entrepreneurs and scientists, and I coach coaches, and I've been doing that for a long time, more than 30 years. But originally, I'm an anthropologist and a dancer. And in the field of anthropology, there was a book written back in 1972 by a guy called Marshall Salins called Stone Age Economics. And there's a whole lot of literature around from that time that's basically saying that in prehistory and the early days of human development, we were not all scrabbling around desperately trying to find food and mate, you know, we were kind of telling stories and dancing around the fire and had an enormous amount of leisure or leisure, depending on where you're from. So as a coach, I could probably, with the right cooperation and support, create an app with chat GPT or some other kind of machine learning technology that would ask really good coaching questions. I could not give my client the feeling of human presence and the kind of neurological mirroring and empathy that they get when we're together, including when we're online, because we get so much information through the visuals, or indeed just through the voice, even if we're only hearing each other, that there's a huge amount going on there. So there are parts of my work that can become redundant and be replaced by the Internet of Things and machine learning, and there are parts that I believe never will. But to some extent, there are benefits. There are such benefits to being able to do something like this and meet up. You no, know, It would be lovely to be in a room with you all, but we're already getting the benefits of the fact that we can get this more narrow band of information and that, you know, some of the ways that we interact are being done for us by the machines and some of them are being done by us. So I think that's something, it's a spectrum. It's really important to remember that we're not just, you know, either human beings and empathy and in a room together or things are being done for us. It's very much mediated already. And, You know, we have spell checks and grammar checks and all kinds of things that are taking part already in how we we communicate. So I think that was one theme that I wanted to bring in was all of our jobs are going to be partly replaced. All of our jobs are going to be changed pretty rapidly, maybe faster than we know, a bit like the Industrial Revolution. But also maybe that will facilitate some kind of a return to us enjoying other kinds of being together, other kinds of leisure, if we can work out the socio, political and economic models that can actually support people having leisure and choice and not having to jump up and be schooled and go through a particular kind of industrial or post-industrial machine. So I think in terms of social and cultural evolution, that's one theme that I wanted to just bring for your comment, Dr. Jackie. The other one, is around, links to that, but it's around schooling and child development and education. Because clearly, we've got a very long period of evolution in which our neurological systems, our brains, our perception were evolving. And now, for young children, just as for us already as adults, there are extensions to our brains and to our perceptual systems that we take on as you know part of ourselves without even noticing it. And the younger people are doing that even more and in more complex and subtle ways. So I was wondering what your thoughts are, Dr. Jackie, about the impact of this changing of technology facilitated social and cultural change on child development, brain development, and the future of education of children.
1: I mean, two really good questions and and good perspectives. In 2016, I'm one of the 250 founders of the digital economy in the UK, and we contribute almost 39% of the GDP of the UK today. But we started at zero in 2009. And 220 of us are still doing what we're doing, because what we're doing is something that is change makers, as opposed to for profit. The other 30 bought a vicarage where the, the pastor lives and, and bought a Ferrari, and they've got, they're long gone. And But the rest of us get together every Christmas. And in December 6, 2016, I asked them about pretty much your first question. And they were like, Jackie, who needs to answer that question is you? Because my question was, where do we go from here, given all of the thing that we set up back in 2009 is over? Where do we go from here? They're like, that's your job, which I think is fair. So I spent the whole of 2017 answering that question. And then in 2018, I walked into the G20, which is 60% of the world's GDP, and tested it on them. And it worked. And so then in 2019, I went to Davos and talked to all 3,000 world leaders and tested it on them. And they've been very upset ever since, but whatever. You need to know of impact so the research I did in 2017 to supplement what I'd already been doing, you know, what I've now been doing for 22 years was I took my research piece back to 450 AD and it goes forward today to 2400 AD. That's the research arc that the empathy economy is founded on. And it turns out there are 400 year cycles within that. Very complicated. Not going to go into that. But the re- reality of it is I'm an empath, so I'm operating at a different level anyway. So what I then had to do is, in understanding your question, understand how do I tell people about it? But more importantly, what technology do I, do, do I build to support that evolution? Because it is an evolution. In fact, some of it's a revolution if you think of Gen Alpha. Um, and so, so that's really the work I did in 2017, and everything that we've built ever since then has been to answer that question and technology that. And of course, what that in what that what happened then was the impact on on Gen Alpha because that's who I was working with at the time. So they're 18 to 8 today, was really evident in terms of the the adverse impacts of everything that's that's going on. And so that's why I'm spinning out a company from Flying Binary to to deal with that particular question post-pandemic, because what became, what was a concern has now become a vital piece of work to be done. And it's interesting for me because I'm looking at inclusion and and people with learning differences, um, like myself, I'm a dyslexia thinker, which I think of as my superpower, A neurotypical world that's built all this technology does not understand. But actually, we connect directly back to that history. And so I find it very fascinating. And one of the things that, um, as a Google engineer, that we always talk about, because I was with the Googlers earlier this week, was when we were in a tent, it was a very posh tent, it was still a tent, in London, listening to Eric Schmidt, who at the time was head of Google. And he literally ranted about this whole thing and said, who in this tent is going to solve this problem? Science, technology, engineering and math, the STEM agenda, it's just wrong. Where's the A? Where's the arts? Where's the humanities? And effectively, you know, I've been answering that question for 22 years. But it's Gen Z originally that clued me into what that difference was. Because of how they use technology, what they did with it. And then Gen Alpha, who just swept the whole agenda away and gone, none, all of that's rubbish. Look at the results you got. If you don't look at outcomes, you'll never see a mess, the message made. So I think that's really, that's really important because if you take it from that basis and then you look at the impact of what technology is actually doing, and in the hands of possibly people that don't understand it, this deep tech evolution, is probably the reason it will save us from ourselves because it shuts off most people's access. And so everybody that's selling the technology to the gurus who are gonna, you know, tell you what to do about ChatGPT, actually don't have access to, the, to what happens next. But then it's then it's all on us. We need to be accountable. We need to do what I call responsible deep technology. And I do talk about responsible AI. I have a whole international piece on that. But it's about us also being ethical, having a moral component and understanding that we have a responsibility to shift this deep tech agenda into a completely new paradigm. And the way I'm doing that is with communities. I found that with all the experimentation since I founded the Empathy Economy in 2016, those are the only safe hands there are. Everybody else gets diverted down some, you know, they either start there with a bias or they, the money sort of jingles in and, it, or shiny arrives, like chat GPT shiny, shiny arrives and everybody's off after it. But communities don't because communities are purpose driven, they often have shared values. And so there are often people like yourselves that Shana's invited here that claw back and go, hang on a minute, that's not right. You know, they sort of keep us all accountable and they're generally more, have a more ethical focus. So that's really why I've taken that journey and that's really how I've I've managed that forward. And and so the empathy economy, the 10 million plus entrepreneurs are those people across those 172 countries. And, you know, some countries are, I've only got a couple of what I call the linchpins um, because they're just beginning their journey and Ukraine is one of those. But then other countries are like, India, where I have business myself, they're well-enmeshed in that whole thing. And and so I think it's a very interesting set of questions. And it becomes inclusive when you do it like that. And for me, that's what I care about. Leave no one behind.
0: Do you see this, like talking about that, the communities and the learning and everything, such a great question, Zora. Do you see this completely disrupting the traditional education system as we know it?
1: It's done that already. So that's happened. That happened a long time ago. My youngest entrepreneur is three. He's G. He's a blue entrepreneur. Woe not be tied anybody who calls him a climate entrepreneur. He will sort you out. Blue entrepreneur cares about the oceans. He lives by the ocean. And he knows he's destined to help our oceans recover. He knows that. Now, it's a bit tricky. His dad's actually making the first film about the empathy economy. And it's a bit tricky, really, because he doesn't have he can't articulate any of that. And he's very frustrated with me because of that. But what he does do is draw me pictures. And between us, we talk it out. I show him some things as a result. And then there's people like Jay who he's like, Professor, I need you to to just stop doing what you're doing. OK, then. Well, his mum's like this, because what you're doing wrong is. And it's like the education system. He said to me. I was actually in China at the time and my team were literally pinging me on everything. I thought, the world's burning. What on earth is this? They said, you've got to speak to this this five-year-old. It's like, you know what I'm doing in Beijing? Why have I got to speak to this five-year-old? Because he's disrupting the entire conference of 300 Pythonistas. We're trying to get some work done. He's one of yours, Jackie. Speak to him. And I said to him, great to meet you. He goes, are you in charge? I said, I am. He said, can you get these people to do what they need to do? I can, said me, but you need to explain to me what that is. He said, I'm five. I said, You're not actually allowed in that conference under eight. Yeah, detail. I'm five. And he said, I need to be coding Python by September. And I'm like, okay, why? He said, because if I don't go to school in September, they'll teach me scratch. They'll talk to me with scratch the same way they talk to my brother with it. You've got to stop that. Can't happen. And and I said, That's a good enough reason for me. So 10 children entered school, primary school, you know, first grade with uh, all the kids code Python that September, because, of course, I'm going to support that. And so our education system is being built to do what it's doing. It thinks because it's gone online, that's it. But actually, Gen Alpha, I've just jettisoned it and Gen Beta are doing the same thing. I mean, I've got two more years. Can you just get rid of it by then? because I don't want to deal with it at all. I I know what I'm going to do already. So I can't promise that, G. I really can't promise that I can get rid of the education system in two years. But it's already happened. I mean, Gen Z negotiated in there and were tortured by it using those same words. Gen Alpha haven't done that. They've worked outside of it. And so when the pandemic hit, I had some hugely eminent professors who deal in disciplines that I don't know about quantum mechanics and stuff like that saying to me right okay this is it I've got to find a route to retirement because this is the year in pandemic gen alpha are coming to university I can't possibly deal with this I need to leave (laughs) and I think that you know the reality of it is they are changing our world because they have this curious approach their mindset is It's all broken. And after two years of pandemic and a a Russian war, who could argue with that? So there's no point in looking at anything. And the school system tells me nothing. How do I find that outside? What they do is connect with one another. And then often I'll get the phone call, like the one in Beijing you need to do something about this. This one's one of yours. So I think that's our children are very much that future and informing our communities to serve, not just who we serve, but by. Serving that that um, population, I'll have my first eleven-year-old on the interactive podcast next week. But his mum refused to give him the link and came on to apologise first this week. <laughs> I'm like, get out of his way. We'll sort it out. He needs what he needs. We know we should not be teaching anybody anything. If they're under thirty, we should be facilitating them to bring the change the world needs to see in my view that's as simple as that
0: i love that that concept there and it's interesting because you know we're talking about this impact on society and as a society we teach at children that is what we do we don't we don't listen we don't collaborate with them we teach at them and what you're talking about is valuing what they have to say letting them explore facilitating their curiosity, trusting and letting them them try and to make mistakes and learn along the way and to collaborate with yeah. people that have been treated in our society, especially as lesser than because of their their age and experience. But if you have children, you probably know just how smart they are and how much value they can bring because they see the world through a lens that that we can't possibly see the world through because we have been jaded and we have been institutionalized in so many ways to see the world a certain way and they're entering into a new world with a new perspective and And they come with a curiosity that we have lost. So speaking to that, I want to ask you one last question before we kind of wrap up. And I do kind of want to wrap up after this last question with sort of what is the action step for us? So be thinking about that, Jackie. And I know if any of you all sort of have, you want to share a quick need, you have the ear of somebody who has the ear of the world leaders. So if there's a quick thought or a quick need that you want to leave with Dr. Jackie before we wrap up, please do raise your hands so that you can share that. But before, Jackie, uh, I just want to continue just a little bit with this concept of collaboration. It's something that we talked about before where you were saying that the way the technology is right now, it's few And it just so happens to be because of our world, it's few white men for the most part. I love so many of my white men friends, my husband, of course, in particular, but uh, when the world is run by them, it is not an inclusive world and it is not a safe place for all who are a part of the world. So we've kind of talked about how this technology is being shaped and built by them. And you really gave me this perspective of how we need we need to flip this to be more collaborative, to where it's many people who are working on this technology and creating something that impacts lots of people versus a few trying to have their profit, right? Like they're trying to have their profit and make their money. How do we start to get involved and get our hands into this so that it's a collaborative effort by many people that impacts the world for purpose and for good? So can you talk just a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I mean I've talked a lot about climate change, but that's not the only impactful agenda as and as global change makers, we're focused on many, many agendas. There's nothing that I've said tonight that doesn't Meet what you're all trying to do and who you serve and the impact you're trying to create. It's just that that is the world's biggest problem and our greatest concern. So that tends to come out a lot. And I think the reality of it is, is, there is no negotiation about technology that I've described tonight enabling that future. That's over. That was over. We can't rewind back to 2009. It's done. So given that that's our future, then it's a question of setting up those communities or helping the communities we serve already to understand what our purpose in this change is. And so I loved um, you saying in the chat, Kim, how are these kids so self actualized I still don't know what I want to do. And I think that's a fantastic comment. You maybe don't think you do, but you actually do. So I have been assimilated over the last 29 years gen z gen alpha and now gen beta i'm actually it's my wheelhouse to help everybody create understand that purpose we're all doing useful things but when people say to me i don't know what i should be doing i get really excited because that means you're already aware that you are you are not fulfilling a greater purpose and you'd like to know what that was and i often talk about marian williamsons uh, our light that nelson mandela spoke when he became the first black president of of south africa because if we can shine our light that bit brighter we literally bring our community with us and then they pass us by and and that's really you know the the piece of it so that profit for purpose Sort of approach the new business models, the new commercial models, in that setting, because it, it's a combined profit for purpose, then one with the other, and and there's, that's really what the interactive podcast on LinkedIn is about. Every week, let's get these discussions have. It's a safe space; nothing's recorded, etc. And so, I think that you know the reality of what we we need to do is figure out, Shauna, how we can sort of connect communities and the thought leadership around it whilst we curate, orchestrate and support communities. So there's almost like a layer missing with what we're doing now in the sharing economy that has to evolve forward with the empathy economy. So I could keep growing entrepreneurs in the empathy economy and enabling them and assigning on other, other countries, but I don't see the point of that. I actually, the success plan I've, I've had to change have a positive impact across half the world's population that's what i'm going to share in the in the empathy economy membership but i'm sharing that really for other communities to take that repurpose it for their community so that we realize we all become those global change makers but for those outcomes that we all care about but if you've already understood out to die that technology is going to enable that then you're way ahead of the rest of the world because the shiny or the newest thing and the the thing about the empathy economy is when I did this speech for the first time to all the global technology companies what would it be two and a half years ago I said we'll do it with you we'll do it without you don't care but will you come on board and so to find you know uh, Google already on board next day got done gone off And then LinkedIn, yeah, we're going to support that. We want to do the net zero. So curate our sustainability catalogue. Absolutely. So it's really finding out what the purpose is of the communities we have here and others and say, okay, well, how does that community come into the empty economy, leverage the technology such that we're not just the next dumb consumer, which is pretty much the way the gurus of, of the world are looking at this. And I, I would actually say, just leave them alone. They're busy, you know. I, I don't. I'm not saying you should tell them they're wrong. I should just say let them go on with it. But then we should be thinking bigger about this and understanding that just saying there's an iceberg that's only this small, it actually goes to the depths of our planet. It goes to the bottom level. This is a this is a whole piece. But we can, we can negotiate that because the way it sits today is the humans are at the heart of it. Now there's a few people going to, you know, trying to turn that piece off. Too late, been done. But it's what we do with it that matters next, Shana. So what will we do with it? That's really the question we have to answer. And I'm here to win beneath your wings. That's my job.
0: I love that. We are so grateful. For you being the wind beneath our wings, being the person inviting us in to this conversation and helping us be aware and get curious and start thinking bigger. I don't think you should, if you're with us present right now, or if you're listening to this replay, you're probably not having any major conclusions right now. And you're probably leaving with more questions than you are answers. And I think that's exactly where we're supposed to be. So don't leave feeling like I'm still not sure I have so many questions, lean into those questions, right? Don't don't be hesitant about it, lean into it, get curious about it. And my encouragement and Jackie, I'm not sure what what you would like to leave people with. But My encouragement to each of us is that you take this conversation into your communities and with other people, whether that's your physical community, whether that's somebody in your house, your girlfriend you're getting coffee with next week. Let's start this discussion so that other people are aware of what's coming and that we can continue to learn from each other and collaborate as all of this continues to unfold. I think that this is the start of a bigger conversation for many of us. And I know I'm going to continue to have this conversation. I want to continue to have calls like this where we're just sort of opening the door to collaborating on ideas and thoughts and inviting, I'm sure Dr. Jackie back at some point, she's going to have all of her stuff ready to share and we'll bring her back as well. As we wrap up, what would be sort of the final thought or the final call to action that you would have for us? Well, I
1: want to, we're having a tough day in Ukraine today. So I want to think about that setting where effectively we have a a war in Europe. And you'd think that, you know, with everything we talked about, where there's, you know, there's lots to be concerned about, that the Ukrainian armed services the ukrainian citizens would be fearful of a future because they literally are existing without water without electricity they're being bombed every day all the rest of it and i'm particularly supporting i have uh, 300 organizations 15,000 people in 20 countries making sure that that future is safe but what they say is if you look at it like it's something to be feared fear it you will and it'll become that but know that there's a bottom and when you get to bottom and they're at bottom now all you do is look up and see the stars and the empty economy has provided that for them has provided that inspiration and they're really clear about what that future looks like I think lots of us that are fearful of the future is because we haven't engaged with it. And so, you know, if I can have eight-year-olds in Lviv, you know, be so excited about what will happen when this war is won and Dr. Jackie's going to help us build Ukraine, so how amazing is that? That's my new role. Then why have we got anything to be concerned about and why are we not collaborating to that future that, that Shana's talked about? Essentially, getting excited about the possibilities. Because we, we're at bottom. We just need to look up at the stars more often. Literally put our workbooks on for our purpose. And, you know, I didn't start, I'm an aerospace engineer, I didn't start anywhere near here. But I I looked at it as a journey always. But the thing I've learned is, if you work with people that share values and all of those millions of entrepreneurs across the, the economy share that future that I've, I've just shared with you. If you work with people that share the same values, literally nothing is impossible. Or you could worry about it and there'd be a three-year-old entrepreneur comes breezing on by, just putting in place the thing that you just thought was impossible. So, you know, maybe you want to facilitate the three-year-old entrepreneurs. Maybe you want to support them. Maybe you want to create a community where, where they belong. But people often will say, are you depressed about the future? No. We've got into this mess by humans, that sharing economy and everything that we've done with it, but then shared values and the empathy economy literally turns that upside down. I think that the reality of it is it's very bright, that future, very, very bright. And every day I talk to communities like this and work with people like Shana. I mean, I probably won't sleep tonight, so I'll write the next bit of my next book because I'll be just so, so buzzed by the fact we've had this conversation and you've had some amazing questions for me. So thank you for that. And welcome to the Empathy Economy.
0: Hey friend, thanks for listening. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, then do me a favor and leave a review, letting me know what you want to hear more of. To learn more about the show or connect with me, head to shannalin.com. That's S-H-A-N-A-L-Y-N-N.com. Until next time.